Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part four of his teaching, Signs. All right, praise the Lord. This morning we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago with our series on signs. By the way, how many enjoyed KCDs last week? What an awesome word, and it's already up on the podcast if you want to go listen to it. Anyway, in our series on signs this morning will be part four. As we said in other sessions, there are all kinds of signs all around us. There are signs in the heavens. There are signs of the times. There are natural signs. There are supernatural signs here on the earth. But the ones we've been talking about, the ones we've been emphasizing, are the supernatural signs performed by Jesus in his earthly ministry. And as I've said many times, because it's really the theme of this series, these signs point to Jesus as the miracle worker, the wonder worker, and they validate the fact that he was sent to us by God and that the words he spoke when he preached the gospel were the true word of God. So there can be no doubt if you look at the signs that Jesus performed that he was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the Son of God. And even though the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record numerous signs, wonders, and miracles performed by Jesus, John only records seven. And I think he chose those seven signs because they were definitive and stood out above all the rest. If you couldn't see that Jesus was the Christ with these seven signs, you probably weren't paying attention, and you probably weren't going to believe He was Lord even after He was raised from the dead. Theologians and Bible teachers refer to these seven signs as the seven signs of the book of John. And you find them between John chapter 2 and John chapter 11. So I want you to listen to what John says about the limited number of signs that he includes in his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. New King James Version. We'll be using that all day. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Amen. So right there you have the purpose of supernatural signs in a nutshell, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. Now here's another scripture that I haven't used so far. At the very end of John's Gospel, In fact, it's the very last verse which essentially conveys the same message. John 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So John's saying there's a lot of things that Jesus did that I couldn't include in my gospel 
But I picked seven that the Holy Ghost highlighted to me that were definitive proof that Jesus was Christ. Jesus was the Son of God. So here are the seven signs of the book of John in the order in which they appear in Scripture. And we've been using this as an outline in this series. Number one, changing water into wine. Number two, healing the nobleman's son. Number three, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Number four, feeding the 5,000. Number five, walking on water. Number six, healing a man born blind. And number seven, raising Lazarus from the dead. Amen. Last week we covered number five, walking on water. Amen. It was cool too. And once again, not last week, but two weeks ago. We talked about walking on water, and once again, we found out through that sign that Jesus was Lord of space and time, and He was Lord over creation. Why did He do that? Well, I believe He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, everything that Jesus did, He did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Even when He was proving His Lordship, He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did He do it that way? So we could follow his example and do even greater works that he did as he said we would do in John chapter 14. Amen. So this week we're going to cover number six, healing a man born blind. And it looks like there'll be at least one more session before we wrap this series up. But we're not in a hurry. We're not going to overlook anything. There's so much to be learned in these signs, uh, I am just delighted for the first time to be teaching this because I'm getting stretched and I'm learning a lot, just like you guys are. We're going to take our time. We're not in a hurry. Now, I want to remind you that as we go through the rest of these signs, we've got two left, that we're going to find other signs embedded within the stories themselves, within the Scripture passages that also point to Jesus. And I call those signs within the signs. So let's, let's get right into number six, healing a man born blind. Now, in order for you to understand the context of the story, I want to read the last four verses of John chapter 8 and then flow right into John chapter 9. If you were to read chapter 8 in John, you would find out that a great controversy and a great verbal battle erupted in the temple between Jesus and a group of Pharisees. And it got very, very heated. And the controversy centered around who Jesus said that He was, who He claimed to be. But when the topic of Father Abraham came up, things really got hot. So let's start reading at John chapter 8. And verse 56, this is the words of Jesus. He's addressing these Pharisees. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now keep in mind, when Jesus spoke these words, Abraham had already been dead for 2,000 years. So Jesus was saying, in effect, I was around over 2,000 years ago. So it got their attention. 
Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I want to spend a few minutes on that phrase, I am. In the Hebrew, I am means the self-existent one. The one who has always existed and the one who will always exist. The eternal God. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses was standing at the burning bush and God said, I'm sending you back to Egypt to take Israel out of captivity, he said to the Lord, whom shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them, I am sent you. In John chapter 18, verse 4 and 5, when the mob came to the Garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus, they asked, which of you is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus said, I am. And when he did, the Bible says they all fell to the ground. What is that? That is a sign that this was no ordinary man. That is a sign that Jesus was saying to them, listen, you wouldn't be able to take me to your leader unless I allowed it. I am voluntarily putting my guard and telling them, whoa, boys, another place in the scripture, it says that he had 12 legions of angels at his beck and call. If you do the math, that's 72,000 angels that were Jesus' personal bodyguard. He said, I could call them at any time, and I could take care of business. In fact, you think about it, that's more than enough angels to flatten the city of Jerusalem if it came to it. He wanted them to know that they were dealing with God in the flesh. I am that I am. I am the eternal God, and I wouldn't be going with you unless I allowed it. And you got to know those guys on the ground were thinking, man, who is this guy? And how did I get hooked up with this group that's trying to take him to our leaders? <laughs> Amen. Because clearly he has power on his life. Amen. So let me go back and read verse 58 so that we have some continuity as we read on. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You ever wonder how that happened, what all is going on there? I'm not sure what he did, but it must have been supernatural. It says he hid himself and somehow was able to pass through the midst of these Pharisees that were intent on stoning him. Perhaps he did a Jesus mind trick and said, this is not the Jesus you're looking for. And these are not his disciples. And he walked right by him. You Star Wars fan will know what I'm alluding to. I don't know how he did it, but I think it's cool. But I wanted you to see that he was essentially making a hasty supernatural exit when he passed by a man that had been born blind. And even though he was in imminent danger and on his way out of trouble, he felt compassion for that man and stopped and ministered to him anyway. It says a lot about the character of Jesus. So John chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, doesn't that mean a whole lot more to you when you know the backstory? 
Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a pretty loaded question. Evidently, the disciples struggled with the question that a lot of us struggle with today. Why are babies born blind or born with defects? What is that all about? Surely it's not God's will. I don't believe it is. They thought this man had been born blind because of some sin his parents had committed or even some future sin that he would commit, that he would be judged by God in the womb and born blind. I think that's crazy. And I think Jesus thought it was crazy too. Now Jesus had made a connection between sickness and sin before. Remember the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda after he was healed, after he got up, took up his cot, and started walking? He said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. So evidently, we can open doors through our sinful actions, unhealthy lifestyles, that can allow sickness to come against us and even our offspring. But the idea that an innocent baby was born blind or suffered some defect because of some future sin, I find simply ridiculous, and I believe Jesus does too. Here's the sad reality that we have to deal with. We live in a fallen world because of general sin. Because sin is in the world, our world is fallen. It is decaying. It is corrupting. So babies are born blind with birth defects and viruses and bacteria and germs and diseases are on the earth as a result. It's just something we have to deal with. We don't like it, but it is a, it is a truth we have to deal with. So number three, Jesus answers their question. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's a lot in these verses here, so let me break it down for you. Here, Jesus makes it clear that the man was not born blind because of some specific sin committed by him or his parents. Unfortunately, this has led many to believe that the man was destined by God to be born blind so Jesus could happen by him, heal him, and bring glory to God. That's perverted logic, folks. I'm going to tell you why it's not the case. Acts 10.38 makes it clear that the people that Jesus healed were oppressed by the devil. Acts 10.38, I didn't put it in my, my scriptures It says basically how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So the people Jesus healed were oppressed of the devil, not God. So bottom line, Jesus told the disciples that specific sin was not the issue with the man born blind, this particular man. The more important issue was his desire to continue his healing ministry 
as long as he could because he had limited time left on planet earth. He would soon be crucified and the light that he brought into the world would be extinguished. And the world would have to wait until his followers became the light of the world before miracles and signs could be done again. Verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You know, when I read that recently, it just something just sort of sparked in my spirit, and the Lord said, go to Genesis and read. And so I went to Genesis 2-7, and in most translations, it says that God made man out of the dust of the earth. But the word translated as dust can also be translated as clay. There are even some translations that say this. God formed man out of the slime of the earth. Now, we all know some slimy people. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Amen. So considering the fact that human beings are 60% water, it seems likely to me that God made man out of the clay of the earth. So I think when Jesus put clay on the man's eyes, it was a sign that he was about to do a creative miracle. Verse 7, And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Amen for that. So whatever was missing from this man's eyes to enable him to see, I believe was miraculously made from the clay on his eyes. Now, that's just my belief. You don't have to agree with me, but that's what I believe. All the man had to do was add water from the pool of Siloam, a type or a symbol of the living water of God that flows from heaven, and the miracle would be complete. Consider this also. It was about a half mile from the temple where he was begging at the entrance to the pool of Siloam. So it was no easy task for a blind man to go half a mile to get to that pool. He had to have help, and he had to have determination, and he had to want to do it. I believe it was a sign that we have a part to play when it comes to receiving healing or receiving anything from the Lord. Amen? We have to receive it by faith, and many times... We have to demonstrate that faith by some sort of corresponding action. In his case, it was making his way half a mile to the pool of Siloam and washing in the water there. I wonder if he could swim, too. I think about this because I read somewhere that the pool of Siloam was 19 feet deep. So you better be able to swim if you get in the pool of Siloam. Verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. That's funny to me. You know, even in those days, just like today, you find people that try to explain away a miracle. It's not him. He just looks like him. 
It couldn't be him because he was blind. Verse 10, therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Amen. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Here's where it really gets interesting. Verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So you know they've already irritated the Pharisees. Because they hated when he healed on the Sabbath. They had a perverted idea that it was not righteous and holy to do something good and compassionate on the Sabbath. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among there. Now, that word there, signs, is our old, familiar Greek word that keeps popping up in this series, samayon. It means a sign, a wonder, a miracle, with the emphasis on the sign. It means the sign acts like a signpost that points to the one who is the wonder worker, the one who is the miracle, the one who was sent by God, the one who speaks the truth. Amen. Hallelujah. I take heart in this verse here, verse 16, where it says, Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. That says to me that some of the Pharisees said, This is undeniable. He has to be the Christ. Later on, we find out that many of the Pharisees believed in Jesus. You just have to dig to find it. That's encouraging to me. Verse 17. They said to the blind men again. They keep asking him the same question, looking for a different answer. They said to the blind men again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. Now, I want you to see that this man born blind wasn't quite ready to say he was the son of God, but he realized he was no ordinary man. He said he is a prophet. And in fact, Jesus was a prophet. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now, that says to me, even after they listened to the testimony of the parents, then they believed this is the guy who was born blind and somehow he now sees. Which boggles my mind to see their reaction when it's all said and done. It was right there in front of them, and they missed it. Verse 19, and they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? I mean, he's, they're not getting the answer they want from the son, so they go to the parents. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, that much we know, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. 
they already had. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things, listen to this, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. They didn't want to lose their membership in the church. So they weren't going to say anything to rile the Pharisees. Verse 23, therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, by this time, he's getting aggravated. Verse 25 says, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And you can't make it go away. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. I read that and I immediately thought about the day that I met Jesus. The day that I got born again. You know, I may not have understood all that Jesus was or all that he did for me when I confessed him as Lord. But one thing I knew for sure. I was blind, but now I see. I don't understand everything, but I know Jesus is Lord. That much I do know. Verse 26. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? You think he's taking a few shots at these Pharisees? I think he's having a little bit of fun with them because he's aggravated. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Verse 30, The man answered and said to them, Now listen to this wisdom from the man born blind. Listen to this. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So now he's gone from believing that he's a prophet to now he believes he's a sinless man. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. It simply had no precedent. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. His logic is impeccable, and they hate him for it. Listen, Elijah had raised the dead, and so had Elisha. They were both prophets. Elisha had prayed that the entire Syrian army received their sight again, after he prayed that they would be blinded when they threatened the city of Dothan. Jesus raised three people from the dead, an average of one per year in his three-year ministry. And he had already prayed for, I think, four or five blind people to receive their sight. But none of them, not one of them, had been born blind. In the history of the world at that time, there was no man ever who had been born blind and then received his sight. So the man correctly says to the Pharisees that if Jesus was not sent by God, there is no way 
he could have pulled off such a miraculous sign. At that time, it was the sign of signs that absolutely validated the fact that not only was Jesus sent to them by God, but that God was with him in everything he did. And they missed it. As we say, they missed it bigger than Dallas. You know you've missed it if you've missed it bigger than Dallas. Listen, he was God in the flesh standing in their midst, and they missed it. And it grieved his heart to do so, but Jesus put it this way when he prophesied over the city, Luke chapter 19, 44, he said, you have missed the day of your visitation, therefore judgment is coming to Jerusalem. And he wept when he said it. I mean, he gave them his best, and they missed it. Numerous signs, wonders, and miracles undeniable proof that he was sent by God, and they missed it. Verse 34. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They'd gone back to the doctrine that the disciples were were talking about, that the man's parents sinned or Or he had some future sin while he was in the womb that caused him to be born that way? I mean, how sophisticated is that? Not very. So they reviled him and said he was born in sin. And listen, they implied that they were not. They were full of pride. The fact is, we were all born in sin. Including them. Including the Pharisees. And they should have known it. Perhaps they did. They were just too prideful to admit it. In Psalm 51.5, we got scripture to back this up. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. What does that mean? It means we were all born with the sin of Adam in our blood. And sooner or later, when we grew older, we yielded to it. And at that moment, we needed a Savior. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? You know, it's easy to miss this little factoid here, but let me read this to you again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. He's an outcast now. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He actively pursued the man. He went after him. You know, when you came to Jesus, most likely Jesus was pursuing you and you didn't even know it. And he wanted to ask you a question. Do you believe in the Son of God? One more time. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord? I'm ready that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. You're walking with him, and you're talking with him. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Notice the progression. He went from believing he was a prophet to a sinless man to the Son of God. And he worshiped him. I think that's awesome. 
Why did the man so easily believe that Jesus was the Son of God? We believe because of the sign, the miracle that Jesus had performed on him. Not only could he see, but now he could see Jesus. And he understood that the man he was looking at had done something that no one had ever done before. No one had ever seen. For the first time ever, a man was healed that was born blind, and it happened to be him, and he believed. So just like we've been talking about throughout this series, this sign ultimately pointed this man to Jesus, the wonder worker, the miracle worker, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised Messiah of Israel, and he embraced him as his Lord. Verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Here's what I think Jesus was saying there. I have come to judge the world in such a way that I'll find only two kinds of people on the earth. Those that are blind and those that see. Verse 40. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Verse 41. You know, you have to believe that Jesus was, was very passionate, but at some level, he must have thought it was, it was so ridiculous it was funny. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. That's profound. It's tragic to think about it, but I think what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees was this. Logically, all signs point to me as your Messiah sent to you by God. But they couldn't get past their traditions that were not based on the Word of God, but on the traditions of men. They couldn't get past them. Jesus had told them repeatedly that their traditions had made the word of God of no effect. And this is a perfect example. Jesus didn't conform to their traditions or their notions or their conceptions of what Messiah would look like or how he would operate. It was totally opposite of their paradigm. But listen to this. Most of them, I say this about most of them, they never once thought that it might be time to investigate whether their traditions were solidly grounded on the Word of God or not. Unfortunately, for most of them, they know now, but it's too late. And it's sad and tragic to think about. So I don't want to leave on a note like that. So I'm going to say, listen to you. You that might be listening on the podcast, even those that are in this audience, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, the signs point to him as the wonder worker, the miracle worker, the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God. Repent of your sins this day and accept him as your Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed part four of Dr. Forrest's message, Signs. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us. 
on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.